0: Welcome to Tell Me About Your Mother, a podcast for counselors, by counselors, where we explore issues related to our profession, filtering them through our professional and sometimes personal and humorous lens. Each episode, Evan, Eli, and Melissa offer food for thought by bringing their experience and humanity to help you strengthen your practice of psychotherapy. We would love to connect with you at us at tellmeaboutyourmother.run.
1: Let's talk about something um, I might get in trouble about. What are your thoughts? I think I've read this somewhere. This isn't just Evan's theology or philosophy. Like, um, within couples, say that there's two, two partners. One is avoidant attachment style the other is anxious ambivalent. I'm I wonder how often this happens where the bias of the therapist is perpetuated by the anxious ambivalent attachment client and they receive more support and focus as opposed to the avoidant client.
2: I think so. I mean because as, as a therapist, you're probably going to lean into the client. Who seems more receptive, and if the avoidant client is not as receptive to the efforts the clinicians making to establish therapeutic rapport, I could see you know a, a clinician like inherent like um subconsciously maybe aligning with that anxious avoidant and a uh, client
1: commonly a cl- uh, clinician will have transference to an avoidant client because what is that going to look like? How does that show up in session? Well, they might make me question my expertise or my ability or whether or not they take this seriously or if they like me, um, if they're invested. That's the avoidant um, transference, right? Whereas with the anxious ambivalent transference with the clinician, it's easy, easily going to be. They're invested. They're leaning in. They want more from this relationship. They have high emotional states. They're vulnerable. It's all the stuff that we 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 seem to value within psychotherapy.
3: Well, I think the approach from the counselor is going to depend on our attachment style, and I think we're going to mm-hmm. lean into which of, which of those two partners we pathologize most. The one that we most don't like, identify as the much one with. that's most like me <clears throat> is doing well, is better, air quotes. So the one that I see mm-hmm. as more disturbed, I'm going to give them more attention. So it requires us to be self aware, yeah, and fair. Yeah, I th-
1: I certainly side naturally more with the avoiding archetype.
2: So you have to lean away from that and be really self-reflective as to when you find yourself doing that.
1: Yeah, but I also wonder like is this avoidant archetype just someone who's running on empty? Or is this an actual attachment style?
3: Or somebody's already left the the relationship. Yeah. Exactly. Like if yeah, I've if I've
1: been domineered by this anxiety and and Approach or draw to be enmeshed with my partner for a year or two, and now I'm just like, I have nothing more to give. then I don't truly fit the mold of uh, avoidant attachment. It's actually a healthy response. and that's where my bias comes in because I have personal experience with that, where <clears throat> naturally i'm not a I'm not a avoidant person. I'm emotionally engaged, receptive to other people. Not perfectly, but it's something I mm-hmm. practice and value. Yet when I am in a dynamic that's abusive and the person has like like trauma that hasn't been processed. So there's this constant dynamic where she creates this victim lens and vilifies me in order to not have any self accountability because self accountability means shame, which reminds her of her trauma and how that might be her fault. Like all this shit starts to happen. And me knowing all that And having to wait for her to learn that process and swallowing all of my actual needs and staying out of the way. If I come into a couples therapy session, I'm going to appear very avoidant.
3: Am I monkey rich in this or being squirrely if I ask about core values? Because just with conflict, some people think I should match and elevate and rise to wherever you are with this drama. Some people think I'm going to help if I stay calm. So I think if, when I've seen these relationship dynamics, I've seen core values at play. So a core value of mine would be to stay calm. Yeah. So people are like Muppets, hands in the air. Oh my god, the world's awful, and they want everybody else to join them in that drama. Yes. Muppets. Yeah. Oh my god. I call it a
2: roller coaster. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. If
3: you don't, and if you don't you don't, don't care. You don't yes. Care. Yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I'd love completely on board with the attachment. But I do think core values is feeding into it too. Everybody else is Muppet style, and I'm just in the corner, arms crossed, being optimistic and confident, but I look indifferent. Mm-hmm. I look detached. But I'm just trying to help by not putting another log on the fire. Yeah, but and that tr- goes it- to
1: the therapist core values too. Is if I relate to that, where I'm, my value belief is to stay a bit separate and calm, and that creates more connection i'm going to perceive that easier in the session mm-hmm. when you do that
3: like if we have a shared core value but i think all of this needs to be you know laid out and kind of diagrammed for for clients especially couples of what's going on in here in this dynamic and label it because we're just a laboratory. They come in for training. How do I do this stuff? Mm-hmm. And they need to go out and do it in the real world. I think we need to do a better job explaining. Yeah, we can give them a, you know, an attachment survey. We can show them where they are on the grid. Here's your dot. Here's, oh, your, your, love ac- here's your access. Oh, what's your love language? Yeah. Oh,
1: I was a f- that was a huge mistake when my ex figured out what the fuck those were. The love language. Jesus, Christ. Yeah, quality time is a moving goalpost, by the way, folks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that wasn't quality time. Oh, what is. Oh, well, uh, you know, it just it depends, right like, on like the sun. <laughs> I'm like, fucking great. Depends on a blowing up explosion, you know, seven minute light years away. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> quality <laughs> time. Who wrote that shit? Uh, I'm sure there's some truth to it, but it can't be the main.
3: Source what? of is the love this, is this working? <laughs> yeah, no. but we're all doing this on the fly. Clients are doing this while they got to go home and feed kids and get the old changed and
2: just trying to live life and survive.
3: Yeah. Do mm-hmm. I really try to keep people honest? Tell me the truth. Don't tell me what you think. I want to hear what you what you think is the right answer. See what.
2: About what? Like, about how you really feel about your partner? Well,
3: for one, um, drinking. Am I going to drink or am I not going to drink? Okay. You know, like, everybody thinks they should tell us what they think we want to hear. I'm like, no, I'm not here to judge. I'm here to work with the truth. And I was working with somebody recently for anxiety disorder, panic attacks, basically. The real problem was alcohol dependence. And I hadn't drilled deep enough And I hadn't assessed I felt like I'm, I'm still trying to figure out What I could have done better Or differently But I got a call I'm headed to I need treatment Where should I go? I was like <laughs> Light bulb It's like Now we can get to work mm-hmm. Because any solution Is going to be pointless Unless we've identified the problem Solutions have to be custom fit
1: well how much of your work provided him an avenue to realize treatment was necessary
3: well, it was amazing what he had achieved with well, just healthy boundaries and you know coping with anxiety
2: <clears throat> so then that cleared like, the way for him to to see how alcohol was negatively influencing those values or those skills
3: hmm okay I guess like that show hoarders you gotta clean out 30 bags of trash before you find the stinking dead cat that was behind the couch
2: <laughs> God I just got a visual <laughs> oh.
1: I think of uh, two because I did a, uh, a cons- consulting session with a colleague that sees one of my clients as a, within couples sphere and I was thinking about this. There needs to be a model for a parallel like Jahari window but for the what is exposed through individual therapy versus couples therapy versus family therapy with the same client. (laughs) Because I'm getting
2: I think that would be a good training documentary.
1: A different version of John in an individual therapy session than if we were to have only couples therapy, right? I don't think it works if you have the same person and you meet with them um, in these different settings because the relationship is still a consistency. Yet, if I were to wave a wand and only meet Eli for individual therapy for a year, and then in a new multiverse, I only meet Eli with his partner, and in a new multiverse, I only meet Eli with his family he grew up with,
3: those are different. Oh yeah. Three entirely different people. And within each
1: multiverse of perception from the counselor, I am believing that I'm getting the authentic full version of you. No, I hope, we, I hope not.
2: We're all mirrors. Like we're
1: But in the moment, in the moment talking about your feeling and how you are and who you are. That's that's I never, a I never think
3: that. Whether well, it's couples I, I or individual or group, I never think I'm seeing the whole picture.
1: Yeah, no, but it's like I don't think it's natural to really understand the extent of the variation.
2: No, you have to see the person in their like their context, their environment. I mean, you can't study like a a spider from the rainforest in a petri dish. Cuz I'm getting study what
1: it. I'm talking about is like I'm assessing from the the context of who you are, where you are, when you are. Right? Like, with mm-hmm. a, if you're by yourself, with a person. I'm saying it's impossible to extrapolate accurately who you are in these other multiverses. Right. No, that's not possible. And that's what I'm wondering, is, like, how to construct a model to figure out these... Because it's like we're getting a, a Polaroid picture of the front of your face, the side of your face, and the back of your head.
2: So you're saying, like, a model for consultation... So how do two therapists who see yeah. a, one person but in two different contexts get together to compare notes in a way that's productive? Yeah. To whatever the treatment goal is. Mm-hmm. So, like, generally speaking, we could say that the treatment goal for John is to help him become, like, a higher-functioning person. Um, I, I don't know what to like Yeah, like,
1: uh, more emotionally attentive yeah, autonomous, like being able to balance all of those okay. in the relationship with himself and others.
3: But in this model, how are you going to control for transference, counter-transference, professional training, skill level between the different clinicians and just the environment? Like if this room yeah. had no windows, it would be a very different clinical experience.
1: Yeah, that, therein lies the problem with creating an actual study.
3: It's a great idea. Put it together. I'll help. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a complicated study there. <laughs> well, it, was
2: this this person you were consulting with, was she, he or she willing to, was she receptive to your feedback? Like, did you say, I think you're seeing this person from a, this is like a uh, transference? I didn't, I didn't
1: take that. I didn't take that role. Okay. I found myself wanting to take the role of a supervisor. Like, Wondering aloud about countertransference and who you identify with, like creating a supervision so you session. You
3: didn't feel like you had a peer conversation.
1: I was intentionally keeping it peer.
2: I think that was appropriate. I mean, in your
1: but my own ego.
2: Oh
3: <laughs> no! I assume, like in this dynamic, I was like, you she hadn't won your faith, your confidence. No, 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 no. no. The clinician had not. Mm.
2: Because her conceptualization of the client you felt was way off.
1: Well, it was the the motive for the entire interaction seemed to be like, hey, he, your client is avoided and needs to adjust, and also has a drug problem, and he needs to go to treatment. And I was like, mm, what?
3: Smokes weed, needs to go to treatment. Okay. And was this in the text thread? Yeah. This is the one y'all were talking about. Mm-hmm.
1: It was all so. I, and I've i done con- consulting with the colleagues before, and I was like, why do I feel like there's probably my, some of my bias in transference with my, my own client? Because I have felt like a level of defensiveness. Like, I didn't fuel it very much, but I, I noticed it. Like, I felt kind of the need to protect and defend. I don't think it's super protect
2: and defend your interpretation of the client.
1: Yeah, because I, again, this is I'm relying on client perception, which is also questionable. But I just like that's that's a bias of mine, and it's maybe I could say this at the risk of being very sexist, but um, I get very. Uh, Jaded and intolerant towards like these dynamics where, and God forbid I use the word nag, but like it's a thing, it's a fucking thing, right? Where like I'm sure men do it, I'm sure men do it. However, there's this thing, at least with women and my very small, limited perception, I'm not going to generalize all of the sex. There's just there's this dynamic was where, oh, I gotta keep the old lady off my back. A happy wife's a happy life. Like those are cultural slogans. Yeah. And those are informed by actual experience. Someone didn't just like write this shit up. Like the reason things become um, platitudes is because there is a theme. Platitudes just don't.
3: Come ab- about don't
2: appear on their own. They're not mushrooms that just pop out from the in the universe. Yeah. Right.
3: So the like, society trained women that their only power is to nag and coerce and probably annoy. That's your only your only power is through manipulation. So if right. we trained women to do that.
1: Yeah. They should just Culturally. stick to the manipulation via sex. But so, going back I mean, to that. That go, works too. <laughs> <laughs> but going back Quit to Quit the then. nagging, just have sex with me. No. <laughs>
3: But that (laughs) that consultation with that other clinician, I'm betting good money that that person had no was not LCAS and had no addictions training, LMT, had a bias that substance use is substance use. It's never about the substance use.
1: And yeah, but I I I said something that irked her when I was like, um, you know, part of my philosophy in therapy is to not wrangle an addiction. I don't see that as valuable. Generally, I'm going to be processing uh, more in-depth aspects of this client's life and feeling states that maybe perpetuate addiction cycles. And over time, the addiction, if it is severe, will show itself and we'll, I won't have to tell the client that there's a problem. The client will tell me.
3: And helping a client I be that. healthy and well will crowd out the addiction automatically. Exactly.
1: And it'll invite them in to actually identify that, have self-accountability, and you'll get way better results from that anyway.
3: But folks without the training and, and addiction, put a tag on it, but sign her, it her off, we Her response we're done. was, um,
1: oh, well, she said, Evan, I don't think you're listening to me. That was a, a quote. And I'm like, ooh. Okay, so
2: when she said that, though, to what was she when I talked about
1: the wrangling thing and like it's my job to provide a space. And I believe that if the addiction is a severe aspect to this dynamic, it will show itself in time and at the right time. Right. I don't think you're listening to me Um, and then said it has he uh, leaves the room and disappears and smokes weed after like during arguments. And I'm like, that's grounds for an uh, like a, a directive substance use intervention with my client followed by a recommendation for treatment? What?
2: No, that's not destructive <laughs> enough. I mean, like,
3: it's <laughs> I just like, jazz hands. Ooh, there's like, pot and everybody focuses on the jazz hands, the it, pot.
2: Exactly. That's That's just the red herring. I mean. In my mind, the real issue and what the this marriage and family therapist is not focusing on is the dynamic between the man and the woman. I mean, if he is feeling like he needs to leave an argument or leave a foot conversation to go smoke pot, my first thought is that's how he is regulating his emotions. Mm-hmm. And he probably needs time to process. So then is the woman unable to read his cues? Is she braiding him so much that he has to just leave in order to escape the torture so the
1: the LMFT person was able to conceptualize this as a self-regulatory tactic oh that's good however got into the bias realm of we need to we can't address any of this other stuff until that stops
2: Oh, okay. So really what she's like, saying that is that was this the is belief. too complex for her skill set.
1: I guess so. But it was like, no, he needs Call to go to it. treatment. Mm. But the the supervisor apparently had shared this with the clinician as well. That Oh, he needs to go to treatment and fix this marijuana use problem before anything else works. Nothing else is going to work now, until he stops using.
2: My first thought is that the insurance is through the woman and they don't want to lose her business. So they're telling her what she wants to hear.
3: Mm. Yeah, I, I it's so many partners so that single. were were not <laughs> I mean it sounds like I don't know. So many of the sober partners that I've worked with, I've asked them, are you sure you want your spouse sober? Are you sure you want to go through this journey? Mm-hmm. And they want to grab me and shake me. It's so obvious. There's they're like Branscombe so fucking stupid. I can't believe he would ask <laughs> it's like me but that. But that's an excellent <laughs> question. Yeah.
2: Because why else would you stay with somebody who uses substances and is dysregulated if there is not something in it for you?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it can be anything. Can, I can scapegoat you.
2: I can scapegoat you. Yes. And this the hunt for the scapegoat. Is the easiest hunt in the universe.
1: Yeah, it's like a corporate person in Florida calling me about copy paper instead of therapeutic <laughs> process. <laughs> exactly.
3: <laughs> yeah. So I okay. But it's like so the I, person who pops out the other side of recovery, regardless of what the substance is, is not gonna be the same person mm-hmm. that's in this relationship. And they're are not you, gonna value you, the same person they were with either. Are you gonna be willing to change, are you going to grow as much as this sober partner is? They have no idea that this person is going to grad school. I mean, this sobriety is like getting 37 PhDs simultaneously. Yeah. This is like self-improvement on steroids.
2: It is. I mean, and there's research that even lends itself uh, to or indicates that when people go through the counseling program, even at the master's level there's this high percentage that ends up getting divorced because they outgrow their partner.
1: And that would happen mm-hmm. in, that would happen in recovery too.
2: Yeah, I could see that. I could definitely see cuz
1: that. That, that's the other element too is within scapegoating addiction the family, the partner, the, whomever there's a fundamental disconnect in understanding when you say the family enters recovery. Family members seem to think that means we will support.
3: <laughs> we're going to sit back and watch.
1: We're going to support the client. We're going to sit on the bleachers mm-hmm. and we're going to cheer them on as they run the hundred meter dash. And then at the end, they're going to win, and then we can go home.
3: And they all—they think they all win.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's due to my training as a child that my son was able to run this dash so fast. And we go home and we don't have addiction anymore. They've crossed the finish line. We cheered them on the whole way. That's what it means for families to be in recovery, right?
2: Definitely not.
1: (laughs) It means we have to all undergo our, our recovery process. And I'll share this. Within my own story, usually it is not this flagrant. When I got into recovery almost 11 years ago, Within six to nine months, my parents started to gravitate towards this couple that was in poverty, having a child. They, they seemed to have all these, like, sad stories. My parents were being good Christians. They were helping out this couple. Over time, my sister and I, we'd, we'd hear playbacks from my parents as to, like, things that would happen, right? Like, oh, they just can't catch a break, like... We got them a washing machine, and then they live in this poor neighborhood, and someone broke in and stole it, so <laughs> then they couldn't get it. Of course they, they didn't sell it for <laughs> drug money. They couldn't get another washer, So, and they said that they were out of town, and so then we just ended up sending them some money. It got so bad to wear it. They were on the fucking way to a beach once, pulled over on the side of the road to wire these people fucking money.
2: Because they were in another crisis. Yes. And
1: my sister and I would be like, hey, these people are drug addicts. They are taking your money and buying drugs. It took a year and a half for them to finally acknowledge that they were enabling drug users. And this was six, nine months after me. So what does that say about my family? That says my family needs an addict. Mm Mm-hmm my 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 um and you
3: screwed everything up with your sobriety,
0: yeah,
1: and yet it was the main problem, um and that my parents feel closer when they can be a team for an addict, as opposed to when people are well, because if I'm well, then my dad realizes how absurd my mother is. Mm-hmm. I was just like usually reenactment of a family system with an addiction after a person gets into recovery is not as flagrant as that. That is like, you'd read that in a book as an example and kind of roll, I would roll my eyes saying, oh, that wouldn't actually happen, right? It would be like more insidious. Like maybe there'd be someone in the church congregation that like had a, a, a bad leg and couldn't afford crutches and they felt obligated to buy the crutches for this person or something. I would not envision like an exact, almost worse reenactment.
2: Did they ever overcome that, or do they still engage in those? Sort uh maybe of they still don't tell me about the oh, addicts okay. they found.
1: I don't know. No, I don't think so.
3: But it's it's sad how resistant family, you know the the peripheral players are. How resistant they are to Naranon and Alamon.
1: Well, they went to the family program at treatment. <laughs>
3: what once? Yeah. <laughs> 2 hours on a Saturday.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they talked about my addiction and how essentially what a problem you are. how they can be on the on the cheer, on the bleachers
3: and earn their participation trophy. Mhm. It yeah, is a family problem. It
2: is a family problem. I think if treatment focused more on the connection between the family and then if the client was Uh actually the family dynamic as opposed to the individuals i think there would be a lot more success i as annoying as it was at times to have this person like involved but i felt like when clients who showed up who had an interventionist i think those clients did better long term
3: Because they had been engaged with the family from the the beginning? Yeah,
2: from the beginning. And I'm thinking of this one client in particular. She had weekly calls with the interventionist, and it included her divorced parents, her sisters. And while the interventionist was not a trained clinician per se, uh, she was able to keep largely the focus on the connection between the clients and was able – I mean between the family members – and was able to get them to see you know, how, how uh, the client's alcohol use was just a symptom of a greater problem. And just even a, bringing that dynamic to the conversation was enlightening enough that the family grew closer and healthier over time.
1: Yeah. So my feelings within the consultation, peer, peer review or whatever, where they were there for a reason, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, because, like, if I'm engaging with you guys about this exact same dynamic, I wouldn't feel this discomfort and, like, the the thought of, like, man, do I need to, like, get onto my supervisory role and, like, reflect out what they're thinking, what their bias is. Like, I don't have that. Because there's not a lot like I don't have a natural feeling that I'm on a different plateau. But then I get in these dynamics and I try to like second guess it and not trust it because I don't want to just assume (laughs) that I'm on like a different level than people. Well, I think
2: your frustration was that she your conceptualizations of this client were just at diametric opposed forces and she was not willing to concede any ground or willing to look at the situation from any different angle other than her conclusion.
1: Well, and I said, I was like, well, I don't really know if uh, you can admit someone for moderate marijuana use. <laughs> and no insurance company is going to No, but she's like, oh, I've worked for addiction places. You do? We did that all the time. And I was like.
2: If they're private pay. I
1: was like, uh, okay. I was a director. Is that en- enough?
3: That's weird. They don't admit people. Her.
2: They don't do that. I didn't at think least so. not at our company. No, because we had clients who um, needed like they were using treatment as a as like a bridge gap because they were homeless and they were in these situations, they're only testing positive for marijuana. Like we can't admit you to treatment just for marijuana, your insurance company won't pay for that. Well, and that was a very consistent message
1: hey if i'm in a relationship with someone and they're having high demands consistently not ever actively listening to me and constantly demanding that i actively listen for them and there's this unjust laborious interaction um, when you do that i'm going to go in my room and smoke weed and i think that's a n- natural healthy response
2: but it's interesting to me that the client <laughs> but did the clinician ever ever ask what is the what does the marijuana use, like, what purpose does it serve? How does it work for I you? I don't know. I
1: felt like my role in that session was to like slow down her agenda, yeah, or something, right? I can it was see just kind of like, "Hey, there's no agenda.
3: Maybe I'm crazy, or maybe she thought you were sabotaging her agenda. Because if you're not going to jump on the mm-hmm. anti-pop bandwagon, then I think I was sabotaging. She's, she's, she won't be able to succeed.
2: Yeah, she was looking for an ally. In her conclusion, that ultimately as is to about what needs to happen, lack of skill.
1: Yeah, the, yeah, she was looking for an ally as to what needs to happen with this client in order to her, for her to be effective couples therapist, and create the outcome that she's hopeful for. And I kind of wonder aloud about, you know, I was like, man, you know, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as clinicians, especially in couples therapy, to make the couples healthy, yet. There's a lot of couples that I run into, and I'm like, you guys should have just never dated in the first place. <laughs> like, you could throw all the therapy at it in the world. Like, what? why in the fuck are you guys even around each other? Like, should have been two ships passing in a night. First date. Wow, this is weird. Uh, nah, I'm good. Like, yep. there's nothing to throw at this thera- this this relationship. Like, huh? It's because you think she's hot? Is well, that... So, yeah, I mean, like
2: <laughs> that's typically how it begins. You're and thinking that's, with the little brain yeah. and not the big brain.
1: <laughs> but it's like, if that's all we're working with here and the rest of it is just, I mean, I've fell victim to that. Oh, they're hot.
3: I get so impatient with not blurting that out. This ain't ever going to work. It's like, can't you see that the Titanic's already on the bottom of the ocean?
2: Well, it's if, funny, if t- the contempt
3: is there. and
2: Yeah. I mean, to use that metaphor, I mean, this therapist that you had a consultation with is rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic <laughs> rather than worrying about the ship sinking and people dying. Yeah. I mean, she's just like leaning into all of these red yeah, the, herrings. The
3: pot's the deck, deck chair, and the relationship is the ship.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's just so much deeper going on, especially like why is the woman even attracted to an avoidant man? Or why is she creating avoidance?
1: Well, and I I wondered a lot about that. I said, okay, because he he apparently was like a more severe substance user when they met, and I was like, well, what about her? What attracted her to him in that, and what is she still carrying? Because obviously he's made strides forward in terms of just smoking weed now, as opposed to doing party drugs. So there's been shifts there. Um, but what's shifted within her, like?
2: She probably needs him to be sick.
1: Yeah. Well, if if I have high anxiety and then someone has ailment, I can
2: I can I can blow smoke on the anxiety and Mm
1: -hmm. helps me feel needed. Yeah, helps me
3: not feel my feelings or think about my shit.
1: Yeah, and I'm not crazy, right? If I have high anxiety, but then my partner um likes to you know slit their wrists every Friday,
3: um, everyone's gonna just
1: think, oh, okay.
3: And I get to sit around smug and brag about my mental health. I am so well.
2: And how I'm a good person that I'm in a relationship with somebody who's sick. And I'm helping the person. I'm a martyr. Um, yeah. I'm
3: helping. I'm not helping. just awesome. I'm a martyr.
1: Well, if she listens to this episode and gives me some hate mail, we'll have to invite her in. and We'll all process this together <laughs> as a team.
3: Well, I had a consultation <laughs> with another counselor. I was working with one party of this couple, she was working with the other half. I had met with both of the the couple. Obvious borderline personality disorder and just violent emotional abuse. Mm-hmm. Just like it made me want to just take this guy home and say you need a restraining order and just say no. Yeah, wash your hands. I was like, this. I was worried for his life. Oh wow, that's how bad this was. So, <laughs> there's this manipulation from the wife that I needed to talk to her counselor because my client, my half of the relationship wasn't getting well. He He's not getting fixed, he's Eli. He's not getting fixed. So, wanted me to <laughs> yeah, consult this similar. with the counselor. So, this client had seen another individual clinician before me and he brought the same proposal said you need to talk to my my wife's counselor and that clinician was like i'm not doing that because i knew the other counselor well i was like okay i'll call her and we'll have a conversation it was such a train wreck
2: and they typically are because Uh. you know there is an agenda at play and once the clinician's ego and is in motion and that person is so attached to their case conceptualization like a dog with a bone well mm-hmm. what's the
1: motive for peer consultation it can't be it, yeah in these, both these situations it's like okay this, this colleague is calling me so that I can change a couple of things with a client they have so that whatever idea they have about how the therapy should happen in their session can happen it's like that doesn't make any sense because then it's like it's it's like having an individual therapy session with a client and being like, hey, this case conceptual and works conceptualization works if you have both your hands. So let's act like you have both your hands as opposed to just one. And then all this other stuff's going to work for you. <laughs> it's like you only have one hand. That's what it. That's the context. She
2: just can't accept reality.
1: So you're calling me to go like add a hand to this person because you want to. You your your case conception is like you guys think. Oh, if we all juggle five balls simultaneously together, then we'll sing kumbaya and therapy will be over. Yet my patient has one fucking hand.
2: But that, that, when you <coughs> talked about this originally, the the concept of emasculation came to mind, and I can't help but think. I always feel sorry for every man you ever speak about. I don't know why, (laughs) but I can't help but feel sad for this guy. And I feel like he's being emasculated not only by his female partner, but by the female therapist as well. And then I feel like the female therapist, by calling you for this peer consultation, not only, I mean, the topic is substance use. But what I really feel like she's trying to do is get you to emasculate this guy also.
1: And myself. So, what would this have looked like if I were a female therapist? If if he was the only male in this whole paradigm,
2: I think one it could depend gone, on the female therapist. Yeah, it depends on the female therapist. Right? Yeah. If we speak, if in it was me, <laughs> yeah, like- they would have thought you were talking to a man. <laughs> Probably would have because I would not have taken the bait. I wouldn't have leaned into this idea at all that he has substance use and we need to hone in on that. And the year now about the marijuana. So, is
3: this about gender or is it about education with addiction?
2: I think it's both. I mean, I do think the education about addiction is a very significant um, deficit. I think gender is a big issue, but but I I think think the education is bigger.
1: Well, within gender, we can overcome a lot of those biases within gender based on education. But
2: I think the gender bias is that if he is leaving a conversation, he's not honoring and respecting the female partner.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. And there's this emphasis of feminism. And and of course, look, feminism means egalitarianism. It means equality. Does not mean the woman can just do whatever the fuck she wants. Exactly. And then the guy abides and and is submissive. That is not what the fuck it means. So, all you feminists out there with a bunch of stickers on the back of your car, I know who you are.
2: (laughs) But then the. That's not feminism. See, I admire both of you because you all engage in couples counseling. This is why I do not engage in couples counseling. It always makes me want to stab myself. (laughs) Oh, but I'm not even doing the couples counseling. I know. In this context, you're not. I'm
1: having to stab myself and not even doing it. Yeah.
2: I I mean, I recognize that. In this context, you're not.
1: But I would do it. Yeah.
2: I, I stay away. I just have, I'm too limited. I remember the last couple's <laughs> counseling like, yeah, session. This. I did. <laughs> the last couple's counseling session I did, I, I even framed it from the beginning. I was like, this is not a couple's counseling session because I've already established a therapeutic relationship, a therapeutic alliance with the, the, the client who was in substance use treatment. So I'm already his therapist. Right. So this is more of a family session about how you can help him in his recovery. And so he wanted me to create this or to articulate a clinical rationale for why it would not be a good idea for the wife, upon return from substance use treatment, to invite a woman and her child to come live with them who are homeless. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, when you were talking about oh, the there's need, the reenactment. yeah, reenactment, when the need to have people dependent upon you. So
1: he's going to come back and be well, which is untrue, but he's going to come back and be well. More now, well, therefore, right. Therefore, I need to bring in some wounded bambies.
2: Yes. And so then in the next individual session that I had with him, he started off and he says, my wife thinks you're against her. And, and, yeah, she's and, vilified. Yeah, yes. exactly. I got vilified. And I said, well. Which
3: is Latin for. She's onto you. Yeah. Which is Latin (laughs) for my counselor's gonna (laughs) You're you're right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it was a very sad conversation because that the fact that she wanted to bring in these home this homeless family into their house, he began to appreciate that his marriage is really rocky. I mean, just with clearer eyes, he's able to see He's got some distance from the
1: toxic pond. And that's a part of recovery, identity reformation is it's as though, uh, oh, I'm going to get into a weird metaphor. So it's like being a tadpole in a brown brackish pond in addiction within the family system, locality, everything. And then within treatment, we have this amphibious transformation where I can still swim in the water, but I also have legs. And I can hop around nearby. And I can look back and see how fucking dirty that water is. I can choose to jump back in it and wallow in it. Or I can continue the process and, and metamorphosize into a bird. But we're, we grit our legs. We're able to jump around, get out of the water, look back, see it for what it slightly is. Although we don't have a bird's eye view yet of how brackish the water is. We at least noticed that the water is a little cold, it's a little dirty, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if I want to go back in. I have a choice now. Like, a frog can decide if they want to go in the water or out of the water. A fish can't.
2: No, and I think... you like that metaphor yeah. you like? That was,
3: a, that was a weird one. I'm sorry. No, I get stuck on brackish, which I think <laughs> is 50-50 saltwater, freshwater. Yeah. <laughs> well, brackish just seems like really... Polluted.
2: I think you're going for the concept well, br- of polluted. It could be
3: brackish. Yeah.
2: What's wrong with brackish? Because it's a naturally occurring thing.
3: Isn't it? It's where freshwater hits seawater. Yeah, but it's not very. It's not commonly inhabitable. So it's me trying to control my ADD squirrely mind, and I'm thinking the grunge in the water is algae that this little tadpole can eat. (laughs) Oh shit!
1: Well, no, but brackish water is brackish water is commonly uninhabitable. Like, there's not a lot of species that can live in both. Limited, yeah. It's limited species.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. they had to adapt.
1: Oh, well, that wouldn't be good for a metaphor. Like or manatees. Not be
3: That's manatees, not a good example.
2: alligators can They're finding alligators up in North Texas now.
1: Well, they got zebras out there.
2: <laughs> they do. That's so freaky. Yeah. <laughs> You're driving down the highway, and there's like a herd of zebras on the, the side of the road. Can- yeah, the
1: exotic animals get out, and then there's like natural what? herding. That's what happens exotic. when you close Barnum and Bailey's. <laughs>
3: <laughs> what are we going to do with all these? Yeah, Send them to Texas yeah
2: in south texas this is we dads i think they're called we dads um it's like a type of antelope from africa but yeah someone imported them like 40 years ago and they got loose and now they uh roam freely and they've in uh south texas in the desert they it's like duck to water they do really well so oh, my cousin will she's out there they're driving on their ancestral land and she'll film it and put it on Facebook and all of a sudden there's this African herd of antelope that <laughs> <and> goes by. <laughs> it's fucking
3: crazy. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Uh, I do like your metaphor.
1: I, I, could do, I could use some work on You could it. hear
3: my gears turning because you're empathic and intuitive. Yeah.
2: But I think we get what you're saying. I mean, it's all about perspective. And when you're in a toxic environment, to use a pop psychology term – you don't have an appreciation for how sick it is because you're up and close and you have to survive but then Mm -hmm. when you do have the the luxury of distance you can look back with more objective eyes
1: which is what your client was able to do with his relationship and
2: it was very sad like i think his it was a very mournful session Mm -hmm. because he was appreciating how very sick emotionally his wife is and while she does not struggle with substance use, she struggles with overeating. She struggles with family enmeshment. And th- people love to vilify substances themselves because they're so easy to – you know, they're external mm-hmm. and you can go to prison for them. But there are so many other things that one can be addicted to to change to facilitate facilitate emotional state change. Well, yeah.
1: And the term anxiety is an emotional regulator. Exactly. It's still an attempt to emotionally regulate. and can – Show itself in all sense, all sorts of forms.
3: Yeah, but swinging back around to career, career, count, um, queer counseling, queer counseling, <laughs> queer career class, career, the career, yeah. you know, and, and vocational development training. And you personifying a job. I think we should also look at relationships as employers. Yes, you're I- you're on this job for this pay. What do I get out of it? You might like want to leave. You might need to quit.
2: I think I even, I got this tacky text message during one of our uh, podcasts uh, a few months ago from Mike, and I think I shared it with Evan after the session, after we our podcast, and I was like, you know what? I have not decided if I'm going to renew his contract. I was so mad, but uh, you're right. You have to like people thinking systemically. 90
1: day review. The 90 yeah. day review, yeah. <laughs> have my lawyer. Instead a 90 him day fiance. Little... We need 90 day review. We'll film that shit. <laughs> oh,
2: so funny. But thinking in terms of systems has been so freeing for me, both personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. I think if we can get our clients to think systemically. Like, how, What is oh, your God, role yeah. in this system? Because they're not steel plates between every avenue or aspect of your life. It's all related. It's all interwoven. I mean, if you tolerate your mother's, you know, nasty communication style, then it lends itself that you will tolerate that from an employer or a coworker.
1: So we're conditioned to believe that we're tectonic plates. Can only okay, okay. move and etch ever so slightly every yes, I mean, millions of I think years. So. Yeah, we're actually we helicopters.
3: The s- at the same speed fingernails grow. Mm-hmm. Nah.
1: Yeah. So we're not tectonic plates, folks. We are lava. Yeah, we <laughs> la- Yeah, very malleable and adjusted, but it can shoot really fast. It's bright, it's warm. It's a little dangerous though.
2: It can burn you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, terraforming, we're capable of terraforming at any moment.
1: <laughs> yeah. but Going back to something we had said recently is like uh, misjudging a human's ability to be plastic, like to adjust and be malleable and adaptable. Mm. And I think that we create self limits that impose the ability to actually evoke change within ourselves when our families.
3: It's and self-limiting gotta, we gotta, factors and we gotta look for The tiniest, tiniest little change Even if it's putting the seat down on the toilet People are like, well, he should have been doing that all along I got I a thing about that
1: I, I think well, said, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I we've already too. talked yeah. about this Maybe it
3: was a lost episode I think they should all be spring-loaded and automatically <laughs> just go saying up I'm that, that can only be down with a butt on it
1: like I'm, uh, Look, I don't have privilege with toilet seats Because I am the one that has to pick it up Women just can keep it shut
2: See, you got to get to a place of wealth where the man can have his own bathroom You're right, and the woman can have her own bathroom. Yep,
3: yeah, I agree. Just pee in the yard.
1: <laughs> I did that yesterday. Oh, yeah. the neighbors are going to send the cops again. Yeah, and if a woman tells me not to, I'm like, how dare you emasculate me? <laughs> this isn't necessary. <laughs> I've been doing this for millions of years. You ever see a dog? we got to piss on things.
2: You should walk around your neighborhood nude. <laughs>
1: it's like, this is a form of masculinity. Yeah, I'm going to go up and that's how I intimidate the person that called the cops on me. I'm just going to show up naked. <laughs> piss on their bush. Yeah, I'm going to piss on their doorstep <laughs> and say nothing. Yeah. Well, let's wrap up today. It's We've got an hour and a half. I'm trying to, I don't, uh, we just do one episode each time. Because it's a pain in the ass to do twice the work. All right. Like breaking it up and then writing two episodes and all that. i oh, sorry. I want to get it to where opinion. just release it on Fridays, like the, right on whatever, or at least like the next I, I just
2: love that you have enough confidence to believe that our <laughs> listeners are going to stay with us for an hour and a half. Well,
1: they can turn us off. Fuck them. Save it for later. <laughs> Bookmark <Yeah>. it. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter. They only have to listen to five minutes of it for us to get our royalties.
2: Well, Joe, Joe Rogan. <laughs>
1: it's Joe about Rogan. listenership. It's it's not about how how many minutes. It's about it's about clicks. So who cares?
2: Okay. Joe Rogan has 20 million listeners or downloads a week. Yep. That's amazing.
3: I know. I don't think and we'll scary. ever get there,
2: but it's
3: yeah. kind of cool. And scary.
2: You think it's scary? Why?
3: Well, the
1: influence it could have.
2: It's supposed to have influence. You're supposed to have like a diversity of programming. That's what yeah. freedom of speech and you can be listen and be like, eh, I don't like that. Just pause and go to the yeah. next one.
1: But the sound, like, I think that the struggle with society now and technology is the sound bites that happen. And, like, people can be given a voice that are swaying others. Like, I love Joe Rogan. He's got some crazy fucking people on there. Like Alex Jones. You know him? I know of him. Holy shit. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know him?
3: Like <laughs> Rush Limbaugh, wackadoodle. doodle He's
1: fucking crazy. If you put Rush's brain in a blender and put it it's back like in. It's like he actively is in psychosis or something. Like like cocaine paranoia. It's like all these conspiracy theories and it's fucking nuts.
2: The thing is though, I know we're trying to wrap up. This is just, maybe this will be like food for thought for the next time. Is that Conspiracy theories are like stereotypes in the sense that there's like little elements that could be true. Right. I just think that people, the problem is that people don't allow themselves to be critical or objective thinkers. And they really latch on to these ideas and... And absolutes. And absolutes and run with them. Yeah. So that's just part of dumb. So down. lizard
1: people are real. That's <laughs> that what I'm hearing? <laughs> yeah. So Obama okay. is a lizard.
2: You have to leave room for the possibility... <laughs> They are real or not real, yeah. But people need to like latch on to one or the other for comfort, yeah. I think that's why I've always been a very good therapist for people who are in psychosis because whatever they have to say doesn't like cause me to like get upset or um mm-hmm. excitable. It's like I can
1: roll with the delusion, I can
2: roll with it to an extent, not to not to make it bigger or to um. Perpetuate the psychosis, but just to get an understanding of their worldview, and often the psychosis is a reflection of their worldview or metaphorical for what they have already experienced, and then that helps me develop like that therapeutic relationship because I understand where they're coming from more. Oh yeah. So like, what is the li- what do the lizard people really represent? Like, is it like the unknown, especially like the unknown from authority figures? Right. Well, regardless
1: of how psychotic someone's episode is, it's still going to be informed by their own phenomenology and identity. Yes. And so there's stuff to learn from that as long as we're open to it.
2: Yes. Whereas I think people who aren't as well trained would hear someone talk about the lizard. You know, like a clinician heard someone talking about the lizard people. Maybe their first reaction would be to be judgmental, standoffish and then run to the psychiatrist. The medications for, Yeah, for like the highest similar dose of Haldol or similar something.
1: Similar to the LMFT therapist talking about we need to arrest the marijuana use. Exactly. It's the same type of dynamic.
2: I think the discomfort you were feeling in that moment had a lot to do with your discomfort at her lack of objectivity.
1: Mm. And it shouldn't work. Like, I shouldn't feel like I'm working hard to pull someone back into that.
2: No.
3: But it sounded like she had an agenda... That- that you were supposed to adopt and if you didn't. But well, she got she, didn't she feel definitely heard. got
1: frustrated when I said like I didn't say no, I'm not gonna talk about it with this client, but I expressed what my style was in terms of treating addiction and my beliefs about right, just holding space and that if it is severe, it will show itself through time.
3: I suspect she did feel hurt. She was just didn't resentful agree. that you didn't acquiesce. I didn't agree. You didn't yes, dear.
1: Yeah, I'm sure her husband does it for her. <laughs> <laughs> that was sexist. All right, enjoy. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, have a great afternoon. Bye. Bye. I've started to bye. say bye to people on here. Oh, just yeah, to, bye. We don't well, have mod What about, now.
2: like, your... Do you want to... Um yeah, I have to figure out what the new to... mod code is, but what about your website? Like how do people reach you? If they want to know more about your case conceptualization skills and consultation, how would they reach you?
1: Oh um, MillerClinicalConsulting.com. dot com.
2: Okay. I'm um, Melissa dot com.
3: dot com. Oh wow. EliBranscom.com. But I made the mistake there's no one.
2: B in Branscom. is that correct? Right, M E. M-E, okay.
3: Originally, well, it's not was com- brand's comb? <laughs> originally it was M-B-E, and somebody in the family tree misspelled it several different ways. I'd love to change it back, but it's too much trouble.
2: It's transliterated from Welsh anyway.
3: hmm Raven feathers.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> That's what it means? hmm Or Raven oh. Valley.
2: Cool. My maiden name meant wolf, little wolf. Little wolf or of the wolves.
3: That's badass. Alright. Miller's a grain grinder. <laughs> yeah, I'm just
2: uh, grain grinder. I'm just
1: pour my whole <laughs> g- genealogy.
3: <laughs> bye bye. Bye.
0: We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please subscribe so you're notified of new episodes. Rate and review this podcast and share it with your network. Thank you greatly for listening, and we hope we gave you some new ideas that help you develop as a counselor. Or perhaps incorporate into your psychotherapy practice. You can contact Evan Miller, Melissa Martin, or Eli Branscom. Please email contact us at tellmeaboutyourmother.run.